Amen. Amen. Let's pray for a moment. Father, as we begin to look into your word today, I believe you've given me a word for, for us today. I'm just very conscious, talking to everybody as we come in, and the first thing almost all of us use as a greeting is, boy, is it cold. <laughs> Father, as we, as we say those words, and as we do the best to keep our families warm, remind us that there are people in our community who are sleeping in a tent, are sleeping in a doorway, moms and their babies sleeping in cars, and all of the dangers that that carries with it. Remind us, Father, that there are many in our community who are hungry. They go to bed hungry every night. That there are children, there are babies who go to bed hungry every night. Remind us that while we may be temporarily in discomfort, there are many around us who live in discomfort. That is their experience in life. Father, remind us that there are people in our neighborhoods and in our communities who are seemingly hopelessly chained in bondage to addiction, to drugs, to alcohol. And Father, we pray that you would come as a deliverer, as one, as we sang earlier, who breaks chains, who breaks chains. We sing the song often, there is power. In the name of Jesus, to break every chain. And Father, for those who are broken today, who are held in bondage, whatever that bondage may be, even if it's the bondage of self-righteousness, break our chains, O oh God. Those who are bound in chains of fear and depression, of mental struggles, Father. Women who are abused, Men who have lost their way. Father, we pray this morning for our community. That you would come to set men free. In Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for a moment? I want to read two passages of Scripture before we begin today. Two passages of Scripture. The first one is from the book of Ephesians. Chapter 6, it's a, it's a familiar passage of Scripture. Paul says this to the church at Ephesus, Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. And then I want to read a passage from the book of Isaiah, chapter 59. And I want to preface reading this uh, with these words. We read about the, the armor of God. 
And we all know, you know, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit. Do you know there's another piece of armor that we don't see in that list? And it's found in Isaiah 59, verse 17. It's a prophetic, a messianic prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah. Verse 17 says, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. He wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Thank you. You may be seated. Last week I, I talked about the living life in the light of eternity. Living life with our eyes on the eternal. Not being focused on that which is temporary, but focusing on that which is eternal. Because it is only the eternal that, we will, that will accompany us into eternity. That which is eternal. All week long, I knew I was preaching again, and all week long, I, I just kept saying, well, Lord, wh where are we going to go with this? And I don't know at what part of the week it was, the Lord began to speak to me about if we are going to live our lives in light of eternity, what is required of us in order to be able to do that? And the Lord really showed me this scripture. I had never seen that passage in Isaiah before. He showed me I was doing some reading and that scripture came up and I went, wow, there it is. The word zeal. The word zeal. It is used a lot in the scriptures. I didn't realize until I began to study it just how much this word is used. It says in Isaiah 59, 17, he says, He put on the breastplate of the righteousness as a breastplate, a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing, and he wrapped himself in zeal. He wrapped himself in zeal as a mantle. Now, <coughs> it's that mantle of zeal that I want to focus on um, right now. Now a mantle, just so in case you don't know what it is, a mantle is a, a, a great cloak that's wrapped around uh, and envelops the person who's wearing it. We've often seen pictures, as a matter of fact, if you saw a post I made on Facebook yesterday, I posted a picture of a prophet with this mantle, this, this cloak that wrapped around him. Uh, the mantle sometimes is used as kind of a synonym for concealment, but usually it, 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 it's a, it indicates kind of warmth or, or covering. Uh, Elijah threw his mantle. Is he, uh, Elisha, you remember the story, Elisha was plowing in his father's field and Elijah the prophet came along. He walked by him and he threw his mantle on top of Elisha. Now the mantle also is, is a, a synonym or a metaphor or a symbol of calling. It's a calling. It's a ministry. It's an anointing. And it also carries with it the, the idea of authority. And so as Elijah walked past Elisha, plowing in his father's field, 
he cast his mantle upon Elisha, saying to him, I am conveying to you a calling. I'm conveying to you an anointing. I am, I'm beginning to transfer the ministry. I want you to come and go with me now as I transfer my mantle, this prophetic authority, to you. You remember also, if you remember the story, when Elijah was caught up to heaven in a whirlwind, he said before that, he said to Elisha, before I'm caught up, what do you want from me? What are you desiring of me? And Elisha said, I desire a double portion of your spirit. I want, I want a double, whatever's flowing out of you, whatever is covering you, I want a double portion of it. And Elijah said to the young man, if you see me when I am taken up, it shall be as you ask. He said, first of all, you're asking for a hard thing. But if you see me as I'm taken up, uh, it'll be so to you. And as Elisha watched Elijah being taken away uh, in a whirlwind, Elisha's, Elijah's mantle floated down out of the sky and fell at the young prophet's feet. He put it on and he began in his prophetic ministry now. And if you read those two stories side by side, God surely did communicate a double portion to Elisha that he desired. Uh, uh, earlier... In uh, Isaiah, we have the prophecy of the birth of Jesus. And this is what Isaiah says. He says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. There are numerous times in the Bible when God makes a proclamation, God makes a promise, God makes a declaration. He says he's going to do something. And then the prophet will end it by saying these words, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. He said to the prophet Ezekiel, I the Lord have spoken and I will bring my word to pass. That which I have said I will do, I will do. And over and over again he says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. How many of you know that God is a jealous God? You know that God says over and over again and you know we all go, oh jealousy, that's such a nasty thing. Jealousy is not a bad thing. If it's properly directed. Husbands, you ought to be jealous of your wife. Because you are zealous of your relationship with her. And that's what God says. He says, I am zealous for my people. I am zealous for those who I am called. And I am jealous of them. He wears a mantle of zeal. You know, people are passionate or zealous about many things. Some of us are passionate about our work, striving to succeed. We're passionate about possession, striving to, to have more. We're passionate about hobbies and interests. We're passionate about football. I stayed up much later last night than I should have <laughs> because there was a ball game going on. Uh, think of it. We, and here's the point that I want to make. We always have time energy, and money for the things about which we are most passionate. I'll say it again. We always find time. We always find uh, 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 energy. We always find the money somehow for those things we are most passionate about. Uh, you know, you think about it. 
a young person, a student, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> yeah, he studies diligently, he sits up late, late at night studying, he goes without eating properly, he gets his degree, uh, he, he, he's named in the educational who's who's book, and he's called a genius, an athlete works out religiously he follows the coaches the coaches instructions he he uh, he disciplines his life rigidly puts almost every waking moment uh into this sport he goes to the olympics and he wins a gold medal and we call him a champion a lodge member of some club or lodge. He, he meets all the requirements for advancement. He, he never misses a, a lodge meeting. He gets involved in all sorts of civic projects and lodge activities and eventually makes it to a high position in his lodge. And we call him a grand master. An entertainment idol. He sacrifices everything to gain fame. And wealth. He burns the candle at both ends, compromises his moral standards. He, he, in order to advance, he uses people to get to the top of his profession. He neglects his family. He ignores his spiritual life. And we call him a star. However, let somebody get their heart right with God. Get excited about his salvation and his new life. Live under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Attend Bible studies and worship. Show joy. Weep over sin. Read his Bible and pray. We call him a religious fanatic. The real question is this. About what are we passionate about? Are we passionate about the things that are most important? Are we passionate about God? The Bible has a lot to say about zeal. Are we zealous for the work of the kingdom? In Numbers 25.11, God speaks of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, and God says, He has turned away my wrath from Israel while he was zealous for my sake among them. Let me, let me just give you a little background of this. Israel had disobeyed God. God had very specifically said to them not to enter into marital relationships or sexual relationships with, with, with people that inhabited the land. In this case, it was the Moabites. And as it, Israel did from time to time, they just went on their way and did their own thing. And they were beginning to intermarry. They were beginning to, uh, to, to have uh, intimate relationships with women from the Moabite tribes. And God brought a plague upon the people of Israel. They were dying. I think about 25,000 people died because of this plague. And this man comes strutting through the camp, dragging this Moabitess woman with him, goes into the tent right in front of everybody uh, to have relationships with this woman. And Phineas grabs a lance, goes into the tent, and shish kebabs both of them. Right through. 
And God said, because of Phineas' zeal for my word and my people, I will turn away this judgment. Not advocating you go out and buy a spear. Just listen to what I'm saying. God describes himself as passionate and zealous. Several times, as I've already said, we read through the scriptures, the zeal of the Lord will do this. Jesus is described as zealous. He, he clothes himself with a cloak of zeal. The disciples understood when, when it's the psalmist said, or yeah, the psalmist said, for the zeal of thine house has eaten me up. Literally the house symbolizing the work of God in the earth. The zeal for the work of the Lord has consumed me. It's eaten me up. One of the prophets said, the word of God is like a fire in my bones. It's burning in me from the inside out. Jesus' passion. Jesus had one passion. Do you know what Jesus' passion was? He said, my meat, my passion... My zeal is to do the will of him who sent me. That's what drives me. That's what gets me up in the morning. That's what motivates me to the next day. Well, I got a news flash for us. God also encourages believers to pursue passionate and zealous relationships with God. Proverbs 13 says, The soul of the sluggard desireth and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent, the zealous, shall be made fat. Ecclesiastes says, Whatever thy hand findeth to do, can you finish it with me? Do it with all your might, zealously, for there is no work, no device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, where you're going. Whatever you're going to do, do it with all your heart. Galatians chapter 4 verse 18 says, But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing, and not only when I'm present with you. 1 Corinthians says, chapter 14 verse 12 says, Even so you, forasmuch as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that you may excel to the edifying of the church. I could go on and on and on. There's so many places where we're admonished, if you are going to walk with Jesus, walk in zeal. If you're going to be a part of the ministry, live a zealous life. And I will tell you this morning what God is burning into my spirit. Son, if you want to live with your eyes on eternity, do it with zeal. Do it with zeal. Our spiritual passion or zeal, it's like a fire. As long, you know, I've noticed something. Every once in a while, we'd be sitting in the house, and I'm usually always hot, and Barbara's usually always cold. And I'll be sitting there watching a football game, passionately watching this football game, throwing pillows at the television set because somebody did a stupid thing, and my wife say, I think the fire needs a log. That fire is not burning with the same heat that it was a few minutes ago. And I keep saying, you know, if you keep putting that wood into that fire, we're going to run out. 
Our zeal can be a lot like that fire. As long as we keep putting wood on it, it's going to burn hot. As long as we keep feeding it, the wind of the Spirit uh, will, will fan that fire and it will stay hot. And not even a rainstorm of adversity or trouble or persecution or anything else will douse it out. However, when we don't feed the fire, it will smolder. There'll be a little heat there, but not enough for her. And sometimes not enough for God. John Wesley, famous preacher, was once asked, you know, when he would preach, thousands and thousands and thousands of people would come. And he was asked one time, why do so many people come to hear you preach? He said, I just set myself on fire and they come to watch me burn. And I guess we have to ask ourselves. We come here every week and we pray for our community. We, we pray that the drug addicts would be set free, that the alcoholics would sober up, that those men who are abusing their wives would find mercy and compassion and love for their wives. We pray for children who are sleeping in tents and in cars. We pray. That's great. But are we passionate about it? I tell you this, if we get on fire for God, men will come to watch us burn. I'll give you a quick example. There were some people, about 120 of them gathered in an upper room on the day of Pentecost a few years ago. And while they were there praying and while they were seeking God, suddenly there came the sound of a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire came in and sat upon each and every one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. You remember that story, Acts chapter 2? Do you remember what happened? Men came running from everywhere to see what in the world was going on. They went out into the streets and they began to preach with this fire and this zeal and men from all over the city came running. A few days later, Peter and John were walking up to the temple at the hour of prayer and there was a lame man there. And he had been lame from his birth and, and asking for a donation. And Peter said, I, I don't have any money, but I do have something I'll give you. And he grabbed him by the hand and he declared, in the name of Jesus of Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And you know what happened? He walked. He went running. He went leaping. He went praising God. And men ran from every corner of the city to see what was happening. I asked the Lord... Is this why we're not seeing people rush to see what's going on with us? Maybe it's because there's nothing happening. Because I tell you something, every time I read in the scriptures, when God begins to move and his fire is poured out, men come running from every quarter to watch them burn. And maybe my word for you and me today is, maybe we're not on fire. Maybe we're just kind of smoldering. We talk a good talk and we preach a good sermon and we sing a good song and we go to good Bible studies. But each of us individually needs to answer the question, am I burning with zeal?
Or am I captured by other things? Are we on fire for God? I believe God desires zealous believers. Let me give you a few more scriptures. I know it's like a sword drill today, but I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures. In Titus 2.14, speaking of Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. Now, I think most of you know well enough around here that we do not teach salvation by works. We're saved by faith through the work that Jesus did. We don't teach salvation by works. But let me tell you what the Word of God teaches. After you are saved by the work of Jesus, His call upon us is to be zealous in the work of the kingdom. Some people think Christianity is some kind of an inward journey. Uh, that it should be seen and not heard. That's what we hear from the world all the time. We don't really care what you people do inside that little white building. Just don't get out into the streets and do it. Just don't get out into the marketplace and do it. Just don't get into government and start talking. Don't get into that. Listen, our faith should be fervent and boiling over. Zealous. I know there are some people who think church is a place for quietness. Nobody around here, but you know. (laughs) But God um, admonishes us to be zealous in our worship. To be fervent in our serving the Lord. He says in the scriptures, make a loud, joyful noise unto the Lord. Clap your hands. Lift up a mighty shout. Let everything that hath breath. We sang about it just earlier. Praise the Lord. Uh, we're, we're not called to be quiet. I love that song. We will not be quiet. We will, the whole world is saying, will you people please shut up? I don't want to hear that stuff. But I tell, you, I tell you a truth. While there may be many who are the enemies of God, who do not want to hear the Word of God, there are hungry souls who are waiting for someone with the zeal and the courage to share with them the good news that God loves them and has a plan for their life. And it's only the zealous who will do that. That overcome their fear, overcome their anxiety, overcome their shame and their embarrassment. And to live our lives with zeal, to have people look at us. I think the greatest compliment that someone in the world can give a believer is, what in the world is wrong with you? You're not normal. You're not like us. Thank God, I thought maybe I was getting liberal. Let me tell you a couple of other things about zeal. Zeal is the first step toward accomplishment. Zeal is the first step toward accomplishment. Here's the truth. We accomplish that which motivates us. Whatever we are passionate about, we will make it happen. Somebody say amen. Am I talking to a bunch of corpses this morning? Whatever we are passionate about, somehow, some way, we will make it happen. The question again is, what drives us? What what will accomplish, we will accomplish, what drives us? If we develop a zeal for God, we will grow spiritually. 
I think of so many people who just are not growing. We get stuck. Oh, I go to church. I never miss church. Once in a while, I go to other things and everything. And I got a Bible somewhere. If we develop a zeal for God, we will grow spiritually. If we become a church with a zeal for the work of the kingdom, we will grow. A passionate church that reaches its goals for God is a church made up of passionate, zealous individuals. I've got to tell you something. I've taught this, and as a matter of fact, I sat with a group the other day, talking with them, uh, having some concerns about their church and where they're going. And, 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 and this, this is the truth. The congregation is not a reflection of the church. The church is a reflection of the congregation. You are not a reflection of this church. This church is a reflection of you. And if we are cold and lazy and apathetic and disinterested, guess what? That's exactly what we will be as a church. But if each and every one of us gets zealous about the work of the kingdom, guess what will happen? We will be a church that is zealous for the work of the kingdom. Each and every person sitting here this morning, except for those of you who may be visiting, we are a link in a chain. How's our zeal? How's our zeal? The second thing, the first thing was that zeal is the first step toward accomplishment. The next thing I want to share with you is that zeal changes people. Zeal changes people. First... It will change me. It changes how I think. It changes how I feel about myself. It changes how I think about God. It changes how I feel about His Word. It'll change how I preach, how I care, how I love, how I minister to those around me, how I look at men walking down the street. It will change me in every way when I say, God, light a fire in me. Set the fires of the Holy Spirit on my head and set me on fire. It will change me. And secondly, it'll change those around me. Because people can see the difference in your face. They can hear it in your voice. They can recognize it in your conversation. Your family, your co-workers, your neighbors, your fellow believers will see it. And lost people will see it too. We have a story from last May when uh, we had our evangelism outreach for the first week in May. Some of you remember that. It was a pretty, pretty notable event here. And people were on the streets and they were witnessing and testifying to people. One story came out of that. There were some, you know where that little bridge is that goes across the Whetstone Brook from the co-op down to, to Flat Street? There were a group of people standing there and they were praying for someone that they had witnessed to. And a man came running out of the co-op. And he ran across the parking lot and over to that bridge. And he said, I saw that woman glowing. She was literally glowing. And that man stood there on that bridge, heard the gospel and received Christ as his savior. Because he looked out the door and he saw someone who was on fire for Jesus. And he ran to watch her burn. Because there are people in our world, they're not on fire for anything. They're depressed, they're discouraged, they're tired, they're broken, they're weary. 
and they just want something that's alive. And I hate to say it, but there's so much of the church that is just as dead as the world. Because we have opted for religion rather than for zeal. As a matter of fact, religion's not real crazy about zealous people. They're not. They're not. They hated John the Baptist when he came home. Man, this guy, we got to shut him up. So zeal is the first step toward accomplishment. Zeal changes people. It changes me and it changes the people who see me. It changes the people who hear me. They hear something they've not heard before. They see something they've not seen before. They get a taste of something that they've never tasted, but they really want some of it. And the third thing zeal does, zeal protects me from sin. Now, is there anybody in this room who's ever struggled with sin? Okay. Some of you are struggling with lying. I'm just saying. Either that, or I'm a lot worse off than I thought I was. When did David get into trouble? King David was a man after God's own heart. King David was the man that God chose to shepherd Israel. King David was the sweet psalmist of Israel. King David was a mighty warrior on the battlefield. But one day, the Bible says, when kings went out to war, David stayed home. When men went out to war, when the armies went out to war, King David stayed home. And he got up one morning and said, well, my generals are taking care of all the military stuff. I'll just sit here and drink my mint tea and take a walk on the balcony. And that's when he saw Bathsheba. And that's when he decided, you know, I got nothing better to do. And I'm the king. When he decided to sit out the battle, listen to me. Christian, when we decide to sit out the battle, that's when we fall into sin. I've seen it countless times in the lives of believers. I, I say it all the time. The people who are most actively involved in ministry do not come to my office seeking counsel. They're too busy. They've got too much going on. They are engaged in the work of the ministry and the zeal of the Lord is in them and it protects them. But the folks who are doing nothing always seem to have the most problems and need the most help and need the most counsel. I'm just speaking truth to you here. If you will ask God to make you zealous for the work of the kingdom... Every morning when I get up out of bed, I got this pain right here in my back. I don't know if any of you have ever had that. You get up or you're sitting down and you go to stand up and you go, oh my gosh, what is that? I, I do this three-step to get to a full right position. You ever do that? It takes me about halfway across the room to stand up straight. But you know what? When I'm at the gym on the treadmill or the bike, I don't feel that thing at all. That's the truth. 
When I'm engaged in something, when I am moving my body, when I am active in that, I don't feel that. It's after I've laid on my backside all night that I feel it. This is truth. When we begin to lose the zeal of God, when things become routine, pretty soon we're not as involved as we used to be. You know, when you stay home from church enough, it gets easy to stay home. Next thing you know, they're out of church. They're cut off from the other members of the body. And often their life is no different than their neighbor who's lost in their sins. Those who are zealously involved in the work of the kingdom are far less likely to be captured by the temptations of this world. It's a truth. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look at those people on the day of Pentecost as the tongues of fire set upon them and they became fearlessly zealous for souls. They, you know, after Jesus was crucified, he found them. Remember when Jesus came into the, into the midst of the room where they were? You know what they were doing? They were hiding. They were afraid. They were, they were hiding. And Jesus had to come into the room in the spirit to even get in the midst of them. They were in that upper room where they were supposed to be, but they were just waiting. But when Jesus came with the Holy Spirit, they couldn't stay in that room anymore. They couldn't stay behind those locked shutters and locked doors anymore. There was something burning in them. Remember the two folks on the road to Emmaus. After the resurrection. And they hadn't heard about the resurrection. But they met a stranger along the road. And uh, he joined them in their walk. And they began to talk. They invited him to come into their house. And to have a meal with them. And he spoke of them concerning the scriptures. Beginning with the law of Moses. And when he left. Here's what they said. Did not our hearts burn. Within us. Somebody said to me the other day, it looks to me like that Christianity in the West is dying. And if you look at the numbers, it is. And it's because we're comfortable. And it's because we're relaxed and we don't have a sense of eternity. We live beside the same person for 15, 20, 25 years and we never share the gospel with them. We work beside the same person year after year after year. We meet people on the street who are obviously distressed and we, we, we turn our head. We go the other way. We can't get involved in things that connect us with people. We have lost our zeal and the church is dying. I, I, I saw a great clip, if you want to see it, go on my Facebook page. It says, we, the world has invented, America has invented a new Jesus. He's Jehovah Genie. I rubbed the Bible three times so I get my three wishes. <laughs> He's Jehovah Butler. I ring a bell. And he comes and, and bring me what I need. He's Jehovah Geico. You never talk to your insurance man until you've messed up your life and wrecked your car. And then you pull out that piece of paper and pay, dial the number on it and say, come, come fix my mess. 
He's not Jehovah Jico. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's El Shaddai. He's the Lord of the host. He's the God of the universe. He's the ancient of days. Let's don't let a new Jesus. So many people, they're all over America today, and indeed all over the West, there are people so comfortable, so satisfied, because they think they're worshiping Jesus, but they're not. They're worshiping Jehovah Genie, or Jehovah Geico, or Jehovah Butler. You know, he's not our butler. He's not our insurance man. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our elder brother. Zeal comes from within. It comes from the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be praying for ourselves. We need to be praying for one another. Father, fill us with the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be safe anymore. I don't want to be comfortable anymore. I want... Set me on fire so men will come and watch me burn. Paul challenges us in Ephesians 5. And do not be drunk with wine where it is in excess, but be filled with the Spirit of God. We need to pray for passion. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 4 too. Can, <coughs> excuse me. Continue or be zealous in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. In James chapter 5 verse 16, he says the effectual, fervent, zealous prayer of a righteous man availeth much. In 1 Thessalonians 5.17, Paul says pray without ceasing. That's zealous prayer. And then one more thing. We need to return to our first love. In Revelation 2, in the first seven verses or so, we read of Jesus' message to the church at Ephesus. He had a lot of praises for them. But then in verse 4 of Revelation 2, he says, I have somewhat against you because you have left your first love. You're lukewarm. You're not zealous. You're comfortable. If you read carefully, it seems like that Ephesus had the fire once. But they let it grow cold. They left their first love. Can we say that the church at Ephesus had lost their zeal? Apathy is not a condition of the mind, it's a condition of the heart. And I'm obligated to ask this this morning, are we Ephesus? I think if Jesus came here today, it might be a very similar conversation. Boy, you guys got great programs. That mercy ministry thing, that is the coolest thing. You're feeding the poor. That's wonderful. You got good teaching. You got that class on Sunday night. You got a Bible study on Saturday morning. You got a Bible study on Monday night for men. You got a Bible study midweek for kids. That's really good. You support life. You support missions. You've got a great program. But I have something against you. 
You've lost your first love. And many, and for many of us, it's just a program. It's what we do. Associate with passionate people. Associate with passionate people. People will affect you. Lazy, apathetic, disinterested, comfortable people will affect you. Someone has said, and it's made some of us uncomfortable from time to time, you become what the company you keep are. It's why we say to our young people, don't hang out with that bunch of hooligans because before you know it, you'll be in with what they're doing. Associate with passionate people who are on fire so perhaps you will get too close and you will catch the fire. And the opposite works. Be a fire so that you ignite others. Associate with passionate people. A poker gets hot when you put it in the fire. Build relationships with people who have a zeal for God. I'm going to make this, this, I'm not going to call it a prophecy. I'm just going to make it a proclamation. There are people sitting under the sound of my voice who have got really, really difficult circumstances going on in their life right now. Struggles that many of us have no idea what they are. They're fighting They've got things that they're brokenhearted about, that they're concerned about, that they're worried about. I'm going to give you some advice. The Lord just dropped this into my spirit. Ask God to make you zealous for His work. His work. Look to Him. Serve Him. Be passionate about Him. And he will address that thing that you fear the most or you're the most anxious about. Let me say it again. If you're struggling, if you've got problems, if you've got issues, circumstances in your life that are breaking your heart, twisting you apart, can't think about anything else, you weep over it, you cry over it. Develop a zeal for the things of God and let God take care of your business. I believe that's a biblical concept. I believe God says this. Don't worry about tomorrow or what you're going to wear, or what you're going to eat. Or, and I think there's a whole long list of things that we could plug in there. Don't worry about that relative who's turned their back on God. Don't worry about, uh, you know, your, your ongoing financial struggles. Your father knows that you have need of these things. Say it. My father knows. He knows what I need. What he wants is me to be zealous about his stuff. I, I just cannot imagine a scenario where someone is zealously working for the kingdom of God and God 
is not dealing with the issues that, that, that worry them and concern them the most. So I, I give, you don't have to pay for that this morning. That's free. We must make this a priority in our lives. <laughs> Be zealous about our walk with God. Be zealous about our witness for God. Be zealous about the ministries of the kingdom of God here in Brattleboro. Be zealous. I'm going to read something, and I'm going to tell you why I'm reading. I'm having some struggles with my eyes right now. And every once in a while I print something off when I don't have time to reprint it. And it comes out really, really tiny. And these binoculars are not working real good right now. So I want to read this, okay? I want to read this. Fanatics... Fanatics, we all are afraid of being called a fanatic. I want you to get over that. I want you to embrace that. Fanatics are those who seem to live in extremes. Many who are called spiritual fanatics are simply those who are more devoted than we are. Ouch. But when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, would you rather be told you believed too much or you believed too little? Would you rather be told you cared too much? Or that you cared too little? Would you rather be told that you tried too hard? Or that you didn't try hard enough? Would you rather be told that you're too forgiving? Or that you were too judgmental? And this is my favorite. Would you rather be told, well done, thou hyper-hopeful, risk-taking servant, or well done, you cautious, play-it-safe servant? Christian comedian, one time that I heard on stage, said this. When Jesus comes, he's going to find me doing something, even if it's making a mistake. I'm telling you what the Spirit of God is speaking to my heart. If to a man, if to a woman, if to a young person, we will set ourselves on fire for God, men will come to watch us burn. Men will come running and saying, I don't know what you've got, but I want it. Let's pray. Father, we have to face the facts. We can, we, can, we can talk about the church in America or the church in the West and how it's become mediocre and cold and apostate and, 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 and uninvolved and, and liberal and whatever we want to call it. But the reality is we need to face what we are and what we've become and what we're becoming. Now, I happen to believe that God placed this church right here on Lower Canal Street, right in the middle, right in the middle of the heart of Brattleboro's struggles. Because this is where you wanted us. But you did not want us to sit here in comfort, 
half-hearted, half-committed, fearful, embarrassed, anguished, worried. I believe you set us here to be a fire. That this whole community, on this south end of town, would catch that fire. I've stood around on Clark Street and I thought the other night when the fire trucks rushed to a fire back here on Clark Street, I've often said, Lord Jesus, if there's ever a serious fire in that neighborhood, the whole neighborhood will burn. God, I hope that was prophetic. Not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. I believe, Father, if the people sitting in this room will catch fire with a holy zeal, the whole neighborhood will burn for Jesus. The Word of God says we can speak we can speak as though something were. And Father, I speak a holy fire sweeping through this part of town. And indeed the whole community. But Father, you have to light the fire somewhere. And I would pray, light it here. Light it with me. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Let's stand together. Pastor Brian. As for me and my house, we will serve you, Lord. Lifting holy hands in worship. We will not bow down to the gods of men. We will worship the God of Israel. Sing it again. 